You have given us your Holy Spirit to guide, to convict, to encourage our hearts. May we deepen our knowledge of you. May he empower us to walk worthy of your calling, continuing to give us patient endurance with joyful thankfulness. We pray today for Dave and Jan Santos. How wonderful it was to see them. Thank you for their faithfulness to you. Continue to help them minister in part of the world much more difficult than our own during this pandemic. We pray for Alex and Angela. We pray, Lord, that if they would be the ones to replace Dave and Jan there at Castro Elves Baptist Church, that you would put up upon their heart and help them to heal. We, we were saddened to hear of uh, some past church abuse that they had suffered and may they heal there and then may you equip them to continue the work protect um, the church and build the church we pray thank you for our rescue mission providing food and shelter for those in need but most of all for sharing christ thank you that this past week they were able to celebrate their birthday on 110 years of ministry here in lansing provide them the manpower the staff are tired, they're overworked, and only you can provide relief. Father, we pray for Luan West, our prayer individual of the week. Thank you for her sweet spirit. We pray that you would save her family members who are without Christ. Some have health issues, as does Luan. We ask that you would help them through these struggles meet her financial needs as well. We are so thankful for Jim Durling's recovery from COVID. Continue to strengthen him. We pray for Cindy Price as she tested positive last week. Thank you. Her symptoms are mild. Continue to heal her body, protect Matthew and the children. We pray for the Carters, Charlie Ann's parents at home dealing with COVID. Many others are on the prayer list with physical needs. We Pray specifically for Jack Davis, Tom's dad, as he recovers at home. Tend to him both spiritually and physically. We pray for our nation, how we need revival. We confess the sins of immorality, greed, materialism, anger, hatred, covetousness. All these grieve your heart. Help us to see Jesus Christ in his glory and that he longs for us as a nation to come to him. We pray for Chuck Schumer as he leads the Senate. Open his heart to the gospel. May he recognize his need of Christ. Thank you for this church, for the class, and for Adrian. Bless them. Thank you for our good order and firmness in our faith in Christ. You have gifted us. You have so blessed us as a church family. Continue to meet our financial needs here. Help us as we seek to be faithful to your word. Help us to be a growing church, both numerically and also deepening our walk spiritually with you. Save souls, grow disciples, strengthen families, provide encouragement as your word now is taught. Help us to believe it. Help us to assimilate it into our lives. Continue to help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. May Christ be glorified, we pray. Amen. Let's stand, friends.
congregation for your singing today. How it blessed my heart. Please take your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 1 if you don't have a Bible. There should be one in the chair in front of you. Colossians chapter 1. I had the opportunity to teach in Russia six different times, usually for two-week periods. Our church at the time participated in a coalition of churches that funded and staffed Bible institutes to train national men to pastor and plant churches there in Russia. And on one trip, uh, my colleague Dave Stanley and I were asked about a $50 American bill. And uh, we were brought into the pastor's office, a Christian baker in the church had been given some money and he wanted to know um, if it was genuine. And so he shows us this $50 bill and something was off. I mean, the edges of the bill were clearly marked $50, but in the middle of the bill was Abraham Lincoln. The English writing said $5, but someone had glued the numerical 50 over where the 5 was printed. And for a Russian who couldn't read English or distinguish between Presidents Grant and Lincoln, both whom have beards, the bill looked genuine, but it was not. It was a phony $50 bill. We're told the Treasury Department has their officers study the genuine. They study genuine money so well as to detect counterfeit. The same is true about gospel ministry. It might be helpful to know a few details about cults, but our main focus must be on Christ. A proper understanding of Jesus is the surest safeguard against heresy. The church at Colossae had some new teachers knocking on their door. They talked about Christ. Their teaching used the Bible. They used Bible verses. But they were fake. They were counterfeit. They were phony. In last week's text, the apostle uh, talks about becoming a minister of Jesus Christ in verse 23. Now he expands that theme in today's text. He mentions it again in verse 25. Now don't think of a vocational minister when you hear Paul say, I became a minister. The Greek word means servant. So all Christians are ministers. All Christians are servants of Christ. Paul begins to take these false teachers on not directly, he'll do that later in chapter 2, but he does it indirectly, highlighting authentic gospel ministry. He takes the genuine and he exposes it against the false. He will address again these heresies later. But for now, Paul speaks of the authentic. And here he describes what an authentic gospel ministry looks like. He writes to affirm our confidence in Christ. He writes to arm us against spiritual deception. So I came up with six authentic gospel ministry markers. Look at the first. Number one, authentic ministry involves suffering. Look at verse 24. Look at it. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh. I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Paul endured great suffering in ministry. He was writing this letter in prison. As he wrote this, he was in prison because of his faithfulness to Christ. He wasn't ashamed of his suffering. In fact, he tells us he is rejoicing in it. You ask, well, how in the world could Paul rejoice in his sufferings? Because he was suffering on account of Christ. Remember the early church in the book of Acts? Then they left 
the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Jesus promised a special reward for anyone facing mistreatment because of him. Matthew 5, verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 12, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Authentic gospel ministry is on a collision course with this world. Why are we surprised at the anti-Christian opposition we hear today? Maybe we were duped into believing this world at one time was a friend of grace. Were we lulled into a sleep by a pseudo-Christian culture that was the enemy of God all along? We must be ready for persecution. Suffering is coming. We might not want it, we might not invite it, but it's coming. Authentic gospel ministry involves suffering. Now, this phrase, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction, has been the subject of great controversy. It certainly isn't teaching that somehow we contribute to Christ's atonement. That would be wrong. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. There is nothing lacking in the atonement. This word afflictions is never used in the New Testament in reference to Christ's sacrifice. Paul's not talking about salvation. He's talking about service. Afflictions speak of his persecution as a Christ follower. There was a time when he, Saul of Tarsus, persecuted the church. And Jesus said to him, why are you persecuting me? In other words, to persecute the church is to persecute Christ. The suffering Paul received was intended for Christ, but since Christ wasn't physically present, the hostility was directed toward Paul. Authentic gospel ministry involves suffering. Look at the second mark. Look at verse 25. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Number two, authentic ministry proclaims the gospel. Paul was given a stewardship. We don't kind of use that word today. A first century steward was a household manager. That's what we would say. He was a manager. He, over, he had oversight of all the other servants. He had oversight of all the business dealings in the household. It was a position of great trust. Likewise, we are stewards. We are managers. The church is the household of God. We've been entrusted with the gospel. 1 Timothy 6.20, guard the deposit, Paul says, entrusted to you. And this stewardship that Paul writes about here involves a mystery. He's used that word twice. The mystery hidden for ages now revealed the riches of the glory of his mystery mystery. Well, to us the word mystery recalls Sherlock Holmes or Agatha Christie's murder, murder mystery. But biblically, the word means a sacred secret now revealed. The word was used in the apostles' day with pagan cults who had secrets in their inner circle. It was assumed that the Colossian heretics were tossing this term around. They had a secret that only the elite knew about, exclusive information that only a few possessed. Paul refutes that. Paul says God's mystery, his sacred secret, was fully known 
It's now revealed for all of God's people. What is this mystery? What is this sacred secret? It is that the Gentiles, you and me, would inherit God's promises. That Christ would indwell us. Who is Christ in you, the hope of glory? Yes, in the Old Testament, God predicted that the Gentiles would be blessed, that they would receive salvation, but the idea of Jew and Gentile being united in a church, in one body, that idea was unknown. But now it's revealed. We don't appreciate this as we should. Old Testament Gentile proselytes were second-class citizens in Judaism. But turn the page. Look at chapter 3 and verse 11. I want you to see this. Here there is, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. This mystery that Paul writes about also involves God becoming a man, the mystery of God incarnate. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He, Christ, was manifested in the flesh. He became flesh. He was vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and was taken up to glory. Authentic ministry proclaims the gospel, the mystery of God incarnate, the mystery of the church being made up of Jew and Gentile. Number three, authentic ministry matures the church. I preached the next two verses in December 2006. I was a pastoral candidate then, and I said as I preached the message, I said, if you call me as your pastor, this is what we're going to try to do. Let's look at it, verses 28 29. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Authentic ministry matures the church. Our goal in ministry is to present everyone mature in Christ. That's our goal. We're not here to entertain. We're here to help people grow in Christ. Look at the front of your bulletin. What does it say? Becoming fruitful disciples of Christ for God's glory. That's what we're trying to do. How do we do that? Well, Paul gives us three means here in our text. Proclamation, admonishment, and instruction. Let's look at these. Proclamation. Him we proclaim. Christ. Him we proclaim. Our object in our message is Christ. Not self-help theories. Not political agendas. We proclaim Christ. George Whitfield, the evangelist pre-Revolutionary War here in the United States, said, Other men may preach the gospel better than I, but no man can preach a better gospel. This word proclaim, it can be used in the reference of preaching like I'm doing now, but it doesn't have to be. It's not restricted to that. It was a word used to describe a herald who would go through from town to town and announce the message of the king. They didn't have Facebook. They didn't have Twitter or email or texts. And so the man would go from city to city, town to town as a herald, and he would announce whatever the king wanted him to announce. That's what we're supposed to do. We're to herald Christ. We're to tell people about Christ, about Jesus Christ, to publicly declare, declare him as Lord and Savior. Proclamation. Secondly, admonishment. The ESV uses the word warning. 
We must warn people. Jay Adams, the grandfather of biblical counseling, um, coined his word nephetic from this text, nephetic counseling. It means to admonish, to counsel, to warn. What are we to warn people about? Ecclesiastes 12, verse 14, For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. We must warn people that there is a coming judgment. There is a day in which every one of us will stand before Jesus Christ. There is a day coming. Are you prepared for that day? Have, have your sins been forgiven? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? Have you repented of your sin? Do you know Christ? If not, believe upon him today and be saved. So this speaks about our witness. Secondly, it talks about warning other believers. Just as faithful parents must correct a child, admonishing them to bring them to maturity, you and I are involved in the unpleasant task of warning brothers and sisters in Christ. One of the tragic effects of sin is its blinding influence. Hebrews 3.13, we're hardened by sin's deceitfulness. How must we admonish others? Well, not in a judgmental spirit, but in a spirit of humility. Galatians 6.1, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. This is not the job of just Paul and Tom and myself. It's not the job just of our deacons. It's the job of everyone. We are to admonish. We are to warn. We are to counsel each other. So proclamation, admonishment, and then instruction. He uses the word teaching. This is done in our pulpit ministry, in our Sunday school classes, in our ABF classes, in small groups, in weekly Bible studies, the systematic teaching of God's Word. It also involves informal times of instructions, conversations over coffee, counseling, or mentoring others. Who must we do this with? Look at the text. He says, everyone. The Word appears three times. Our proclamation, admonishment, our teaching isn't to a privileged class. It's not to just a few elite people. No, it's to all people, all races, all classes of people. No one is to be excluded. And this is to be done with all wisdom, with precision, skill, and clarity. Authentic gospel ministry involves suffering. Authentic gospel ministry proclaims the gospel. Authentic gospel ministry matures the church. Number four, authentic gospel ministry demands work. It demands work. Ministry is not for the faint of heart. And again, I'm not talking about vocational ministry. I'm talking about people serving the Lord in the church. Our task isn't done by accident. It just won't happen by accident. Authentic ministry demands human effort. Look at verse 29. He says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. The Greek word for toil was used in the secular to leave one weary to the point of exhaustion. It was said that D.L. Moody would often fall into bed at night and he would just pray, Lord, I'm tired. Amen. <laughs> Struggling has even a stronger meaning. It can refer to an athlete agonizing in his or her game. Serving the Lord demands maximum effort. If, if we're going to bring people to maturity, it won't be casual. It will demand our time. It will sap our energy. It will involve spiritual battle. It will cause us to stretch every spiritual muscle breaking out in a godly sweat. Authentic ministry will not be done by just attending 
an hour on Sunday morning. Thankfully, we're not left alone to do this endeavor. We just say, the strength to follow your commands could never come from me. God provides us with strength. Look at the text. With all, I serve with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is not let go and let God. Human effort must be exerted, but human effort alone will be useless without God's enabling work. Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in us to will and to act according to his good pleasure. As we work, he works in us. And this morning, when I was reviewing this, I thought, you know, we could have done number five, authentic ministry. Uh, well, that is number five, but this morning I thought number five, authentic ministry involves the help of the Holy Spirit. Could have, could have added that. You, you might want to put that in here. But number five here, authentic ministry requires prayer. Look at chapter two, verse one. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. So let me unpack this. How, you say, how do you get prayer out of that? Well, let me unpack it. How could Paul be struggling? It's the same word used in chapter 1, verse 29, this athletic term. How could Paul be struggling for these believers 1,300 miles away in Colossae or in Laodicea, which was their sister city? How could he be doing that? How could he be struggling? Well, the text doesn't specifically say, but many Bible students think the answer is found in chapter 4 and verse 12. So turn your page. 4 and verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, greets you always, struggling, same word, on your behalf in his prayers, that you might stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. That's where we got it. Struggling in prayer. Prayer is a struggle. Prayer includes our own needs, but should expand to include the needs of others. One of the greatest things you can do for someone is pray for them. If this is correct, then look back at what Paul's praying for, what he's struggling about. Look at verse 2 of chapter 2. He says, um, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If we love people, we will pray for them. Authentic ministry is a matter of the heart. It's not a matter of outward conformity, but about love for God and love for each other. How we need to pray for each other, spiritual encouragement, along with a proper understanding of the riches that they have in Christ. Living in a loving community will help us in our personal growth and our Christian maturity. As I've often said, it takes a church to raise a Christian. One last mark, look at verses 4 and 5. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Number six, authentic ministry warns of deception. The bad news was the Colossians were facing a spiritual attack. A strange new teaching was being heard. This is one of the reasons why the apostle wrote, we will detail this heresy in the weeks to come. But unlike the churches in Galatia, the church in Colossae had not compromised. That's the good news. But they still needed to be warned. Paul uses military metaphors to paint a picture of believers um, not breaking rank, not defecting, he says, rejoicing to see your good order and your firmness of your faith in Christ. Authentic ministry warns of deception. So how do we put this text all together? 
Well, I, I borrow how we worded our points to summarize it all. The take-home truth, authentic gospel ministry magnifies Christ. I think that pretty much summarizes it. It magnifies Christ. I see the key to our passage is chapter 1, verse 27, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ is our eternal treasure. We have all we need in Christ. He alone is sufficient. John Wesley commissioned a young man, uh, Thomas Koch, to send him to the new United States to preach the gospel and plant churches. And the story is told that there at the dock, as Wesley was giving him his farewell, Wesley shouted out to him, Offer them Christ. Give them Christ. We've been welcomed into God's family. But more, more. Christ takes residence within us. The cosmic Christ, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, the head of the church, the fullness of God, indwells us as believers. After all, his name is Emmanuel, God with us. He does not indwell buildings like he did in the Old Testament. No, he is up close and personal. He indwells us. He is what makes ministry authentic. Christ in us is greater than any crisis before us. Oh, may we worship him. May we adore him. May he be our focus. May he be our life. May he be our measuring stick to be like Christ. Would you sing with me? Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us